Welcome to a Red Carpet Cafe exclusive episode, Retro Rewind, with your host, Eric Root and Bree Proud. In a world where keeping the crime off the streets is important, comes another hit drama series. I'm Sergeant McIntyre of the Cheddar Squad, and I'm a member of Bree SI. Our first crime scene that we come to, Officer Bigley and I, we approach the cheese factory and we notice that there was a dead person laying on that factory floor. And I looked at him while he was eating his cheese sandwich. And I said, what do you make of this? And he said, oh, it looks like a dead guy with a bunch of nacho cheese on his face. But what do you think the actual cause of death was? And I looked at him, I took off my glasses, and I said, Clearly, nacho cheese. Bree SI. See it. Live it. Coming soon to a television somewhere near you in Wisconsin. Hey, Bree, how are you today? Oh, <laughs> I'm doing well. How are you? <laughs> Pretty good. <clears throat> we really should think about taking some of these and maybe making them into fake scripts in case somebody wants to option them at some point. <laughs> no? Hashtag too soon still? Okay. <laughs> All right, so other than the uh, the awesome plug for that TV show that we really want to watch, did you know, though, that realistically that uh, memories are the time we used to share. <laughs> I was because, waiting for it. Because that's just the way we were. Well, actually, that's the way we were, the movie from October 19th, 1973, starring Robert Redford and Babs, Barbara Streisand. We are going to talk about that today as one of two films, because I understand that that film is near and dear to your heart. I mean, yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, but yes, you're right. Okay. <laughs> I can't defend it. I can't. I can't. <laughs> I, I got to be completely honest with you. This movie has me absolutely out of my element when you suggested it because I had never seen this film. I, okay. I'm not. I'm not one that I'm like, oh, Barbara Streisand. She's my favorite. I can't wait. She's a great performer. I know that um, there are strong opinions in either direction about her acting and such, but make no mistake about it. She has star quality. She has charisma mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and longevity. So people love her and have loved her work. So when you mentioned that you wanted to do this film, I had to hunt for it because I didn't have it. It's not something readily available. Um, I had to actually go to, for those, the one listener that we have that's listening, to We have 300 listeners. Oh, that's right. I keep telling you. <laughs> <clears throat> Tubi, uh, T-U-B-I, the free TV app actually had it, and I was surprised. I was like, wow, okay, I had to sit through some ads, but nonetheless, but... 
had to tell you, I had some troubles when it came to the description. Now, keeping in mind, this film was made in 1973. The rules were a little different on how you could describe people and, I guess, get away with it. But this was the description. Opposites attract when, during the college days, Katie Morosky, played by Barbara Streisand, a politically active Jew, meets Hubble Gardner, played by Robert Redford, a feckless wasp. Years later, in the wake of World War II, they meet again, and despite their obvious differences, they marry. Hubble wants to be a screenwriter, so the two move to California despite Katie's objections. They prosper there, but as a as the Hollywood blacklist looms, Katie's activism threatens her husband's reputation. Okay. <laughs> uh, director Sidney Pollack. Uh, it did win Academy Awards for Best Music Original Score. Um, Shocker. Right, right, exactly. Uh, let's see, the screenplay, Francis Ford Coppola was involved, which I was actually, oh, okay, that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, <laughs> if you look at this film, and the way it starts off, it starts off after the college days. Mm-hmm. So, they're in the bar, she walks in. And looks over, sees Redford in his military outfit, sitting at the bar with his eyes closed, and people sleeping, <laughs> or, or you know, ladies trying to get his attention, and he wasn't having any of it. And then, of course, we run through the gambit on how they met during college and her activism and such. So, before I go further into it. And I think I alluded to you the other day. I have a surprise surprise twist theory on this movie that may be mind-blowing to only me. But anyways. You're making me nervous. Every time you say that, I'm like, oh, no. What's he going to say? Where's this going to (laughs) go? It's a surprise. But um, what are you tell me? What got you hooked on this film? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, my first exposure to this was from uh, Sex and the City. Mm -hmm. Uh, Carrie Bradshaw. Oh, good. You were saying the TV show, not like some kind of weird experience that I'm like, this is supposed to be a clean show. I live in the middle of nowhere. No city here. <laughs> yeah, you're in Wisconsin. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, yeah, hence your cheese <laughs> screenplay. That's anyway. Right. Um, so Jennifer, where am I going with this? No, Sarah Jessica Parker. I almost said Jennifer Love Hewitt. I've been watching a lot of 911 lately. <laughs> Sarah Jessica Parker plays Carrie Bradshaw in that movie. And there is, I think at some point in time, uh, anyone who has watched Sex and the City at some point has resonated with one of the main gals in 
the little group that they have, whether you're a Charlotte, a Samantha, a Carrie, um, or a Miranda, it's, there are pieces of each of those ladies that really strike a chord when you're watching it. And there's this episode where Carrie is chaos. Her life is chaos. She's got her curly hair, her, uh, just flying in the wind. And there is a man who just, it, she, he's just out of her reach. Like, Isn't that every episode? You asked, I'm telling. <laughs> and, um, you know, and she's done everything she can. And it just, every time they try, it just doesn't work out. And, and anyone who has seen the show knows that it's narrated in a way as though, um, you're, you're reading a column, right? You're reading okay, the Sex right. and the City column. And so within this narration, Carrie expresses that this relationship reminds her of Katie and Hubble from the way we were. Okay. In that, that she is the chaos. And as she's partying with the gentleman for the last time, she says the iconic line from the movie of your girl looks lovely, Hubble. <laughs> and uh, the guy is just absolutely confused. He has no idea what she's talking about. And that's how she says bye to him and never to enter her life again. And so I wanted more. I wanted to understand even more um, where that was coming from. So I found the movie. I watched it. And then I rewatched that episode of Sex and the City. And it just all, oh, I loved it. It's okay. So that's how it started. <clears throat> I almost feel like maybe we missed the opportunity of talking about the way we were and Sex in the City to relive all of that for our uh, one of 300 <laughs> listeners. <laughs> you know, I almost I, I don't disagree in that I wish that I knew exactly what season, what episode for the reference. But yeah, no, I got you. But whatever. Okay. So anyway, that's exactly how this movie is. You talked about, you know, how we started in this scene. Um, it's after their college days, after they've already met, leading into the bar. But at the very, very, very beginning, you see Katie as her adult self, again, played by Barbara Streisand. And, and it's, it is, it's just chaos. There is nothing else to describe her. She's talking really fast. She's talking really loud. She's fighting with everyone. She calls everyone a fascist if they're not doing anything, you know, that she, if they're doing anything that she disagrees with. Um, and they're, and she works in a recording studio for a news outlet. And, right. um, and she's giving them what she wants them to read and making them switch back and forth to various pages. And again, this is at a, a, a pretty um, heavily political time in the country um, when all this is happening. So obviously everyone has a whole bunch of different feelings, but she, she's yelling at the people. She's yelling at her boss and she's it, for her. It's organized chaos for everyone else around her. It's just chaos. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we get to this restaurant and we see Hubble in his uh his military uniform, his eyes are closed, he's sleeping at the bar. There's a gal trying to, to win over his affections and get his attention. And he's just, you know, like you said, eyes closed. And Katie goes to get her beverage. 
Um, actually, her boss goes to get her beverage for her, and um, and she's stuck. She can't stop looking at Hubble. She wants to move his hair out of the way and talk to him, but she can't bring herself to do it um, until she does. So um, from there, we kind of go back in time, mm-hmm. and we see them in college and learn who they are, where they came from, and, and clearly see... two different worlds. Oh yes, yes. Night and day. Mm-hmm. I mean, you learn later when they go back to the present time that Katie talks about how she's ironed her hair. So when we get into uh, their college days, she's got the curly, crazy hair, right? Kind of like how you know, um, like Carrie Bradshaw does in Sex and the City, where you know you kind of you kind of get that reference for the two of them, just crazy curly hair um still the same personality she takes everything serious as can be she doesn't smile she doesn't laugh like everything is so serious for her and and Hubble's more of this like organized but laid back person he enjoys all likes to spend a lot of time an obscene amount of time with his friends and in like an apartment with them. Yes. Yeah. 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 Like His I'm girlfriend. like, this is not normal. I don't think I spent that much time hanging out with my friends and girlfriend all in one spot. Yeah. So and then it is. It's um Carol Ann, his girlfriend, his best friend JJ, him and a group of a few other people. Yeah, they go everywhere together. Um Katie during college you see, you know, not only is she a political activist on campus, but then when she's off campus she's working in a in a diner and she's still grumpy there, no smile on her face and it's not so much that she's grumpy, it's that she takes everything so seriously that she Yeah, she can't appreciate anything in life. She the small moments just keep passing her by and you can tell right from the get go um between her political speeches she's given on campus and even the time spent in the diner that Hubble admires her. He admires her for her tenacity and her willingness to fight for everything that she thinks is right because that's a side of him that he doesn't let out. He It's a side of him that he suppresses. So he has this admiration for her and and you know that right from the beginning she doesn't necessarily have admiration for him. Um, it isn't until later in their college days as she's had an opportunity to kind of see that more vulnerable side of him, which happens in a class, a creative writing class, where um, the professor chooses to read the best paper out of the class, and it happens to be Hubble's. And yeah. she really learns who he truly is, not just his persona when he's with his friends. So she kind of starts to have, whether it's a crush or admiration, um, she starts to have that for him. Um, and then we kind of flash back to the present time. Um, you know, he's sitting at that bar stool and she finally says, hello, Hubble. And from there, um, she ends up bringing him back to her place. He's just, Completely obliterated, drunk as a skunk, um, needs a place to stay. So, um, so she 
putting together tea for him, all of these things to be like romantic and nice and to show who she is now and how she's changed or thinks that she's changed. And he's concerned in a quick run to the bathroom and a quick dive into the bed to go to sleep. And then from there, a few nighttime activities kind of happen between them. And Katie cries a little bit because she realizes that all of this is happening. And he has no idea. He doesn't know that it's Katie. He doesn't really know or is going to remember anything that's happening. And she develops this kind of um, um, attachment for him. So she's really eager to, like, make him breakfast in the morning and spend more time with him. And he's, like, heading for the ship. He's ready to go. Um, But she says, you know, anytime you're in town, you know, here's my number. Look me up. You let me know. Um, And you have a bed to to stay in because, you know. Well, she's kind of got a. She's kind of, I mean, think of it like this. It's 19, well, I mean, the film's 1973, but this is mm-hmm. right around the time of World War II. Yep. So it's not like she had, like, she could bust out her Tinder app and go <laughs> looking looking for a date and whatnot, because obviously that's not even in existence. So she's kind of got to market herself now in hopes of, like, she can catch his attention enough to want him to come back and, uh, you know, hopefully spend more than just a quality night together because clearly there is an attraction there. Yes. They, they have what appears to be an attraction for each other, but a lot of apprehension because of their previous past and encounters mm-hmm. from college. Yes. You know, with her and her, um, activist speech where she's trying to make a point and he's like wow she's very persuasive and then all right. of a sudden and people a bunch of his friends yeah, a bunch of his friends end up making fun of her anyways and that mm-hmm. still kind of blows my mind that they even got together because of the friends but um anyways that's uh, that's a totally different topic yeah th- yeah we'll get there for sure <laughs> Well, and the the significant thing, too, and what first draws Katie into Hubble and actually having a real conversation with him and after after having heard his story out loud is that um, he published a book and he's celebrating by himself because he doesn't necessarily have the support around him that would understand him wanting to write this book. Um, because that's a different side of him that, again, isn't out really in the public or with his friends, at least not at that time in his life. So uh, when they're sitting there and chatting, he tells her, you know, you should have laughed. Like, if if you weren't so serious, if you could have just laughed, regardless of, because they, they hold up right. a sign that says no, um, um, what does it say? Gosh, what is this? It's something about give me five uh, seconds. Yeah, I was going to say I forget the topic that she was talking about, but it was a play on words of mm, the topic yes. that she was talking about. It is, and of course, causes the crowd to yeah break out. So she's yeah, she's trying to promote peace, mm-hmm. and it says any peace, but Katie's peace, right. Right. And, and of course, spelled differently than right. P-E-A-C-E. 
Yeah, versus P-I-E-C-E. And she turns around, she finally sees the sign because all these people are cheering and laughing. And she's like, you know, it's not that funny. But then she turns around and sees the sign and realizes what they're really laughing at. Right. <laughs> and then tells them they're the all a bunch of fascists and, <laughs> and walks away. And he's like, you know, if you would have laughed, like you just needed to laugh and that wouldn't have been, you know, the case. So, you know, fast forward and, you know, she's, you know, told him that he has a place to stay and over time he starts taking her up on that and then all of a sudden some bum chicka bum bow bum bow yeah they they finally they finally um yeah they finally connected they finally found something that they connected on intellectually right and realized that this admiration has grown into more and it's this interest and then they start dating and you know a handful of months or so into this relationship he brings her over to spend time with him and his friends and they're his friends from college caroline is now dating jj She's no longer with Hubble, obviously. Katie's with Hubble. And she cannot swallow the pill and just get through the time with the friends because she still takes everything so seriously. Everything is a political move. Right. You can clearly see that she harbors resentment Mm -hmm. over the previous college interactions with Mm -hmm. all of them. And can't let it go. That would be like somebody who had grudges in high school and here they are 20 years later and they still are holding the same grudge. Mm-hmm. At some point, you got to move on dot org. <laughs> Absolutely. And and here's the thing, like it's in this moment where because I get to the point in the movie at this point when she's there and and can't get out of her own way. Right. And and Hubble first approaches her and is like, you know, just relax. Like, it doesn't have to be political. But she is so passionate. And I, like, I admire her for for not wanting to back down. I mean, I can I can relate to that on so many levels of, like, you know, you're so passionate and you really believe in something and you're going to do whatever it takes to to fight for it and let people know what it is you think and how you feel and maybe not to change everyone, but at least offer some more perspective. And, sure. you know, for her, again, it's like this burning passion, but to everyone else, it's just like, it's chaos and being yelled at all the time. And, and she's not understanding that. And, and it's at that moment that I start to feel less, um, less on her side and more on Hubble's side where I'm like, sure. come on, Katie, like it is, you know, you can save that for when you're with Hubble because he understands you and you can have these conversations and, and, and it works. Your, your life works together, but when you're in the real world, she doesn't have the ability to adapt in the way that Hubble right. can, you know, like he was, you know, kind of like this, I don't want to say two-faced, or like he's wearing a mask, because he was himself, but he he also had the ability to fit in with people. And so, 
Right, and I'm going to interject really quick on that. And if you look at the way Katie handles herself with Hubble and literally everyone else in the film, mm-hmm. is she goes by the mantra of, I fight every fight because I'm right. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, Hubble couldn't convince her that you don't have to fight every fight. You can fight the good fight, but you also need to learn the word compromise in order to be mm-hmm. able to persuade and to get ahead. But yes. she chose to fight every fight as if it was the end of the world if she wasn't correct. And that is a major character flaw. Yes. And in so many ways, like, I feel like I see myself in Katie, but... Which is why, like, I feel like this movie really does strike such a chord with me. But at the same time, like, I recognize those moments where I'm like, girl, not right now. Girl, no. Stop. Like, just, just, just suppress it. Just even just a little bit. And she won't feel as excluded and left out in the way that she is because of her own choices. You know, again, like, she gets in her own way. So there's a couple of more parties and um, we get to the point where, um, you know, though this is not a true story, it plays into true events that have taken place in the past. So we get to the point where um, Kennedy has died. Right. And. And that affected a lot of people. Oh, yes. And in the film. Absolutely. Um, It was. Yeah, it's like real emotions across the board for everyone nationwide. And it wasn't, it wasn't even that people had a true one-on-one connection with Kennedy. It was his beliefs and everything he stood for and how he represented himself in this country and led that so many people had his respect and love that when that happened, yeah, so many people were hurt by that. And Katie is one of those people and Hubble's friends, they get together just after this has happened and whether or not they are hurt or harmed by it, they get through life by, by jokes. It's, uh, you know, it's, um, being lighthearted and not taking everything so seriously. Total opposite of Katie. So when they are making these jokes, that is the biggest, one of the biggest, it's the first huge turning point in the relationship of Katie and Hubble in that, um, they're not, they're not going to make it. He realizes that. He says, you know, I'm, right. There's that defining moment where you Mm -hmm. can see the look on his face where he's like, there's nothing I can do to save this relationship. Yeah, despite despite anything else, even if he wanted to, he just, he doesn't see the future as something happy. Correct. So, So, I mean, then you realize that what's going to end up happening next, they're going to end up getting divorced. Well, they're not married yet at this point. Right. This is oh, before they even moved to California. That, you're, you're, I'm getting ahead of myself. You are mm-hmm. correct. So that's when Katie calls him and is like, you know, the most peculiar thing 
See, I, I'm upset and I need someone to talk to. And so I want to call my best friend, but you're my best friend, Hubble. So can you please just come over and I won't try anything. I won't change your mind, but I just need you here so I can sleep. Right. Yeah. And I mean, and that's essentially what happens. Um, he gets off the phone and JJ's like, sleeping pills are in the cabinet. So he shows up and he gives her the medicine to like calm her down and he sells his book and then he sells his book for movie rights and in a surprising turn of events, they're together again and they are laughing and happy and there's this montage of just their new life together. Um, despite her not wanting to go to California, um, they go to California so he can pursue this this life for them writing, and you know his film career. Yeah, and 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 money and happiness and not being in the military and starting his life for what he's truly always wanted with the pers- the one person who always believed in him and that's Katie. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's like this whole montage of just pure bliss and then they're unpacking in california and you see that they've gotten married because she's unpacking a cake topper and they start going to these parties and meeting all these people and he's like okay turn it off for now and we can talk more when we get home and and she's learned to suppress as much as she can to get through everyday life and then have those discussions with him in private at home um, in order to fit into this cookie cutter uh, world, according to her, you know, for, for the success of her husband and, and their family. Um, and then the Hollywood blacklist comes out and people start being accused of communism and Katie's political side busts at the seams almost immediately. We learn that she is now, um, she's pregnant. And, um, and, you know, her and Hubble are very happy, but the politics start getting in the way again. And you can see the stress it's causing him. And basically uh, killing his career. Yes, because not only is she publicly on television film the news outlets um speaking up but um she's also speaking up with the playwright as they're trying to adapt his book into a movie which ends up tweaking the original storyline a little bit and she fights for them that that's not right that's not that's not what the story is and and it prevents him from being able to write the story that the director wants to to see, what he wants to read. And so he's slowly losing all of this. And that leads him to Carol Ann's door. Right. And the movie finally gets put to film. And they're doing a private screening to see where it's at, how it needs to be edited. And it's just Hubble and Katie in the the screening room by the end of the scene. And she lets him know that she knows what he did. You know, it could have, you know, 
People have fights all the time. It could have been anyone. Why did it have to be her? Because Carol Ann is his girlfriend from college, and we all know how college was for Katie. So it's it's kind of like all these triggers for her. And the the pinnacle of the movie happens at this point where they're just holding one another. And Katie says, all I want is for us to love each other. And Hubble says, the trouble is we do. They love each other so much that they have toughed it through this relationship that just doesn't work. They they are two people who love each other so much, but they are not meant to be together. Right. Where and, they say that opposites attract, there's something to be said for, yes, you could absolutely connect and love someone. Yes. But your interests are so far bipolar mm-hmm. that they are constantly in conflict, and that's all you're going to experience the most of over and above whatever love and affection you have for each other. Yes. Cue, uh, what is it? Cue up. Sometimes love just ain't enough. Is that Patty Smith? <laughs> Baby, some I'm not gonna sing. Right. <laughs> that's bad. Um, but yeah, that's I mean, and that's what it is. Like they love each other so much, and that's when I like walk away from this movie. Like that's what I feel is like, oh, they just love each other so much, but it's not enough, and it breaks right. my heart their love was so intense it's like my passion for crispy bacon everyone knows it's legendary and that's the only way i could equate to relate to it and be like brother i get it i get it <laughs> except when my bacon is gone i'm sad afterwards i don't <laughs> run away from it <laughs> yeah and well and and that's what happens right they she turns and looks at him, or maybe this is the next scene, and they're sitting on the couch at home when they when they have finally come to this realization, and she's like, will you at least stay with me until the baby's born, which he agrees to. Right. And cue the hospital scene where she's just given birth to, I think, baby Laura is the daughter's name. Um, she's just given birth. And they're just standing there staring at each other, both ready to cry. And it's not because they're celebrating this joyous occasion of the birth of a daughter. It's because they no longer, despite having a daughter together, have a connection. They are no longer Katie and Hubble. They are Katie in New York and Hubble in California. And clearly, this is the point where, you know, for sure, they're going to divorce. They're split. Yeah, they're it's, done. It's, that's it. It is, it is over. All right. Fast so, forward to a couple of years later. That's and what I was going to say. Let up. me, let me, let me bring it home on this You one. bring it so home. To round out this film on how it closes out is you fast forward a few years later and you see Hubble with what we assume is his new wife. And, um, he is going into, I believe, a hotel is where they were going into, but he sees Katie on the street, and they connect eye to eye. They end up going in to, you know, 
the street of New York, or not in the street, but on you know the sidewalk area, and they talk and whatnot uh, about you know small pleasantries. How are things going? You look great. Yada yada yada. I love your hair. Blah blah blah. How's our kid? Oh, that's fantastic. Um, how's your new life? Great. Be a good dad. Yeah, it's good to see you. Okay, take care. Bye. And then roll credits. That's pretty much how that film ends. And it was meant to end that way, you could tell. So it was a satisfying closure. But here's where I gotta ask you. Is this your theory? No, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> no, I think it's important that we round it out with a quick little rating on that. So, on a scale of 1 to 10, protests, how many protests would you get, or should I say activist protests, would you give this film since Katie was an activist? Um, I am going to give this a 9 because... Okay. I'll just I'll start with that. I'm gonna I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna give it a nine. Okay, you're gonna give it a nine. All right. Mm -hmm. Since it was my first time watching it, um, I didn't have any trouble following along. It was well written, uh, well acted, well directed. I'm gonna give it an eight. Okay. On face value, but my theory on this film. Pushes it closer to about a nine, nine and a half. Are you ready to have your mind blown about this film? Yeah, I, I'm just nervous what your theory might be because then okay. my my round out won't my my you not say, make sense. I will give you an opportunity to say your round out right now, and then I'll give you my okay. theory. Okay. So for me, it's a nine because I. Again, like I said this before, like I see so much of myself in Katie, not as extreme as she is, but so much of myself. And and I I I love big, whether, um, you know, person, place, friend, animal insert here. I love with like my whole heart and. And so many times in life with regard, like, whatever the the thing may be, um, sometimes it doesn't matter. And and that, that sucks, right? It sucks. So I watch this movie sometimes just to, like, keep myself in check and realize, like, like I said before, sometimes love just isn't enough. And it's, like, it's a hard pill to swallow, um, which is what was hard for Katie like she got kept getting in her own way and so for me this is always just that like special little reminder but it's also a reminder too for myself that like maybe eventually like for Katie who is just passionate and all that she does love will be enough because she did conquer that and so okay. that's why for me it's a nine because I just, I feel it so much when I watch this movie. And there, again, there are times where I'm not on Katie's side at all. But in the end, like, she went for it and she got it. And I couldn't be happier for her. Okay. So, that's that's my round out. Now let's hear the all theory. Right. 
there goes my theory. My theory is going to blow your mind to the point where you're going to be like, oh, my God, I need to watch this film again. Baby, you're right. Or I'm going to take back everything I just said. <laughs> I gave it an eight on face value, I believe I said. Yes. Yeah. My theory may push it as high as nine, nine and a half, because this film may be a lot more advanced than we even realize. Because one of the the screenplay writers was Francis Ford Coppola. Mm -hmm. My theory starts off as this. Hubble, this whole movie was told from his point of view. Let me elaborate. The opening scene, she walks in to the bar, sees him sitting at the bar in his his uniform for his World War II, I think it was Navy uniform. Um, Either way, his military uniform, and he's asleep. My theory is he dreamt the entire film. He never woke up. He never talked to her. He heard her voice at some point, and he saw his life flash before his eyes. The whole movie was a dream. It never happened. Nah. I'm telling you. I'm not buying it. Watch it again. The whole movie is a dream. It never happened. It played out in his head how he thought it would play out. And the whole movie is told from his point of view. You're welcome. Nah. Uh-uh. <laughs> no. I, I'm not sold. The The only reason why I'm... I can, I can almost get on the last train. The last boxcar of this train. I can almost get there. Aside from the fact that when the movie first begins, it's with Katie in... Now you're, now you're making me guess that. No, it is. It, no, it you're right. Katie, yeah, Katie, in, Katie in the beginning, she's uh-huh. going through and doing the news and then yep. meets up at the bar. But at that moment, when she sees him and looks at him, it's told from his point of view. That point on. Because he never wakes up. They never talk in real life beyond that moment. I know. It's a lot to swallow. Mm-mm. I, I'll let you. I'll let you have your theory. I'm not going to take your theory away. All right. But I am not jumping down that rabbit hole. I just. I can't. I don't see it that way. It's mind blowing. It's almost tenant mind blowing. <laughs> All right. So, on that note, though, I want to add some more to this particular discussion, but not the way we were. There is something that I wanted to touch base on. Um, that just recently came on HBO Max. We're not going to go too far into it because I don't want to make this a two-hour conversation between the way we were and the Friends reunion. But I am going to bring up something uh, briefly about that because I believe you haven't watched the whole thing. That is correct. Okay. I have sat through it. And. Now, hold on there, kitten. Let me tell you 
really quick about my thoughts on the Friends reunion. And I know you got through maybe an hour of it, and uh, I think you used some very colorful words about how non-exciting it was for you at that moment. So I don't know that we're going to muscle through Right, and that's why I'm <laughs> thinking we're probably not going to be able to devote a whole episode, so we'll just add it on here as a bonus for you, the one of 300 listeners. A lot of people that have posted on social media on my particular news feed have all enjoyed it, so I'm not going to bag on it extremely hard. But I do have some concerns. The half of them that didn't care for it falls into that category where I sit. My expectation when they first announced it, we were going to get maybe eight or ten episodes of a continuation 17 years later of what took place between these characters Mm -hmm. to see what was going on. And I think that's also what may have thrown you off. Mm -hmm. Am I so far semi-accurate? Yeah, 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 I, yes, I was hopeful that we would either see the period, like, it would be like an episode where you'd see, like, the period of their life between. Or even a movie. Where, yeah, yeah, where we ended and where they are now, Mm -hmm. or pick up in life where they are now, similar to what was seen in um, Gilmore Girls A Year in a Life. It was like four episodes, and it was sure. the life of Lorelai and Rory and where they are now, and that's not... That's I not, feel I, HBO I, Max missed an opportunity, because as soon mm-hmm. as it started and we started seeing the cast coming in and they're going to the original set that's still there because they do tours... And they got emotional because that's mm-hmm. the first time in 17 years that they've been back on that specific set, which to me kind of blows my mind. Um, and then to go through the notions of talking to each other and giving the hugs and the high fives and the, oh, I can't believe this is still here. And it's great. I think if you're a huge fanatic of friends where you lived the life where you were a Rachel or, um, you know, a Chandler, you connected with one of those characters in the day. I had seen the entire series when mm-hmm. it originally came out. I enjoyed it, but I didn't obsess over it. Like, it wasn't my uh, end-all, be-all of all shows. Right. I think and, it became more of an obsession recently. Right. Well, you know, the battle between, what was it, Netflix that had it originally, and then it went to um, HBO Max, for however long they've got it. Um, So really, the reunion, yeah, it was a reunion, and they had, it was clearly during pandemic, and we had, they had some fans that were able to sit on the the lot near the fountain and listen to them talk about what's going on now and relive some of those moments. But my whole point of even bringing it up was the fact that I was disappointed that there was so much build and discussion Uh about this and it turned out to not even be what some of us were hoping for. And that was what happened with these specific characters, not the actors and actresses, but the characters 17 years later continuing on with whatever's going on. No, 
Right. That would be a little weird that they were still living in that same apartment maybe 17 years later after everything that's gone mm-hmm. on with them. Um, but it's Yeah, I wanted to see nice them in their house. Right. Yeah, um, I I agree. I, I That's... Yeah, I... No I, ratings involved yeah, on this one. There's I think no that I made involved. it maybe 15, 20 minutes in because I was like, this is a... Oh, you were only 15, 20. Yeah, yeah. I, so they yeah, they, they, they waved to the audience and sat down and I thought, <laughs> it's not what I wanted. It is not at all what I wanted. I know where they are now in life. I read tabloids. I read Us Weekly. They all have Instagram. Like, Though you did miss an opportunity to, I guess, um, and I didn't pay close enough attention to it, uh, some of the snarky remarks from Matthew Perry, I guess, that were... Yeah, I've seen a few uh, news articles on that. Uh, News articles. And, And... I know the guy has struggled with his own personal demons and chemical demons and such. Mm -hmm. It it seems like he's doing better, which Mm -hmm. is all you can ask um, is uh, of people who are entertaining you is hopefully they can get the care that they need. Mm -hmm. But other than that, it Matthew Perry looks older. I mean, but you know, He's got the gray hair action, doing the silver fox Italian star, and uh, but you know the ladies they have yeah. aged well as well, so they've mm-hmm. taken yeah they all look great their own projects and such. And that's cool. I still feel like HBO Max should not give up on this. They really should consider trying to parlay it into some kind of even a short run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Otherwise, I, mean, I don't know that I'm going to go back and revisit that reunion special. Yeah, it's I and I mean I. I, this is like my fourth time refer- referencing it to you directly, but now twice on here of like, like I said, like with Gr- Gilmore Girls, I think it was maybe four episodes and, and even that kind of left on a cliffhanger, but perhaps, okay, benefit of the doubt here, perhaps the reason why they didn't go that route is because they didn't want to tarnish where we left off 17 years ago. Because when I think about, you know, maybe a lesson was learned from Gilmore Girls in that it made the main character really shed some light on truly who she was as a person. And it was not, you know, not someone anyone admired or adored anymore because, like, they saw this, like, not want to call her a monster, but kind of like a monster that she grew up to be who right. doesn't give any thought to anybody else. Like the character arc that came into play as, as she got older, people were so upset with, but then as they went back and like dove into all of the years of Gilmore girls that we had, they realized that the writing was always on the wall. So perhaps giving them the benefit of the doubt, they opted to not do that because they didn't want to destroy those characters or maybe they weren't quite ready or willing to develop that storyline and process where those characters are today. You know, are, are Chandler and Monica still together? Are the, 
the kids ready for college, you know, like, okay. But here, here's here's the the only logical thing I have to not. Well, the only reason why I don't know that I a hundred percent agree with that statement is that both Jennifer Aniston and, uh, Courtney Cox Arquette, assuming that she's still married to David Arquette, had said in in interviews that coming back to that set was surreal and emotional for them because it brought back all those memories of the time 17 years ago where they had to say goodbye to the show when they didn't want to say goodbye. They didn't want it to end, Mm -hmm. but part of them knew that it had to end and they had to move, had to move on with their careers in order to be happy. Um, I I have a sneaking suspicion based on the pandemic situation alone in Hollywood. They probably would have been more than fine with, again, a short six or eight one uh, one season off episode of Friends, the later years or mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. Um, just because even though Jennifer Aniston's been working on the morning show, uh, that's the only one I know off. Oh, yeah, Matthew Perry's on something else, but I don't remember what it was. But anyways, um, they could have easily fit that in with a pandemic schedule. They could have bubbled up and done it. They're not like you're having tours in a in a studio during a pandemic, and um, you know, knock it out. They can make you know some retirement money. Mm-hmm. Call it good. I still think it's a potential opportunity if they play their cards right, and it would really redeem the reunion episode in my mind. Even though I know there's probably some people listening that are like, "I loved it." I know my wife's one of it. She was really she enjoyed it because she enjoyed the show. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed the show, but I didn't like it at all. Had I realized that that's what it was, we'd probably be having a totally different discussion right now. But I had high hopes of like, you know, maybe if I would have done my homework a little bit more, I would have known exactly what I was getting into. That's okay. Um, But stemming off of what you just said, I, I have a few thoughts. Like thinking about this from a business perspective is what's stunting me right now. So you know, we you know you talked about Netflix having friends and um you know my sister is eight and a half years younger than me friends came out when my parents were just a little bit older than these characters are so I kind of grew up with it it didn't resonate with me until I rewatched it as a 20 something 30 something year old adult but now my sister she's gonna be 25 soon And she's watched this with her friends, so they're right in that age bracket now, too. It's kind of one of those things um, that, you know, resonates with, you know, anyone at that age during that time can have, can relate to this show at one point or another, right? right? I feel like it's, aside from the political correctness of the show because of the time frame in which it came out, I feel like it's rather timeless. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and right now, the generation that has discovered Friends, you know, there's Friends memorabilia on the shelves 
everywhere like it just came out yesterday. So from a business standpoint in wanting to do some form of reunion, which I mean, thinking about it being a reunion, a reunion is like rekindling and remeeting. It's not a reboot. So I shouldn't have been so blindsided, but um, from a business standpoint, it makes sense to have a reunion now. Sure. Because everyone's going to want to see it. However, and, and revisit the episodes that they currently have in their dossier of film or shows. Yeah, and yeah, however, it's 17 years later, so they didn't have to do a re- reunion yet and, um, you know, record it during the time of a pandemic. They could have waited until, I don't know, 20 years later and actually been able to safely do a mini-series on it. So I think that perhaps... Mm-hmm. From a business perspective, that kind of took over a little bit more than maybe it should have. I mean, I get it, you know, but, like, I just, I think that if they would have waited 20 years, it could have had an even bigger impact, and they could have given us what we really wanted, which was a mini-series. All right. That's my take on it. All right. Well, And that's after watching 15, 20 minutes of it. That's funny. Okay. Well, in the meantime, thank you all for listening. I do apologize. I didn't introduce this earlier. I got all caught up in my Briasi uh, promo. Um, you've been listening to the Red Carpet Cafe. I am Eric Root. And I am Bree Pro. And don't forget, Red Carpet Cafe is a member of the Be Kind Rewind podcast network. For more information, you can visit us on the web at bkrpn.com. And also, don't forget, pivot, pivot, pivot. On the next episode of the Red Carpet Cafe. Bree, how are you? I am doing so well. How are you? I'm doing very good. I'm doing so good that I want to talk about how good I am. Sometimes I feel like I'm just in fuego, on fire. Kind of like the movie we're about to discuss, Those Who Wish Me Dead. Starring Angelina Jolie. Currently in the theaters and also playing simultaneously on HBO Max. But this movie has got Angelina Jolie. It's got John Berkman in it. It's got Nicholas Hout in it. It's got Aiden Gillian in it. It's got Tyler Perry in it. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of freaking people in this film. Like, mm-hmm. if just looking at the way the cast was brought in, I. I got all excited.